0: This episode is sponsored by Makersite. Do you want to design sustainable products but LCA, compliance, and cost experts slow you down? With Makersite, you can analyze the lifecycle impact of your product design choices in compliance, cost, environmental, health, and safety criteria, all fully automated. For more information, please visit makersite.io.
1: from Greenbiz Group. Welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here in Oakland, California. On this week's edition, what's the purpose of a company's purpose? Turning greenhouse gases into fragrance and vodka, a deep dive into deep-sea mining, and can sustainable food systems lead to healthier diets? It's a balanced diet this week on 350. It's August the 12th, 2022. Welcome to another edition of Green Biz 350. So glad to have you with us. And joining me from right here at Green Biz headquarters in Oakland, it's a slightly jet-lagged Heather Clancy. Hello, Heather.
0: Hello, Joel. It's nice to be about two feet away from you as opposed to however many thousands of miles. Yeah,
1: 2,000 miles or 2, 3,000, whatever it is. Uh, This is kind of, it's been an exciting week. We've had uh, the first ever all-hands in-person meeting, certainly in two or three or four years. All 55 of us together at the... Claremont Hotel in the Berkeley Hills to look at our strategy and uh, sort of first of all we'll get to know each other <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and meet people. Yeah. It's like, wait, you work here?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not just you work here because what do you do here? Ah, that's true. <laughs> uh, yes. Everybody yeah. works here, or at least they're supposed to. Um, no, it's it's been really gratifying. We've hired probably 20 people in the past year, and we've had a few departures, and, and, and so there's quite the core of, of, of well, newbies, uh, some of whom are, are veterans in their field, and, and a lot of them are, are early career folks that we uh, often hire, and it's just been so great to see everybody, and like and icing on the cake, is that we're doing a lot of this, not the, the, the off-site, was at the Claremont, as they said, in our brand new Green Biz office, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. just across the street from where we used to be, but in some really spanking, large, beautiful offices. So, anyway.
0: Yeah, so we are no longer at Frank Plaza, although we're across from Frank
1: gawa Plaza. We, can we look out on yes. franco Plaza? You'll in, still in get City the Hall.
0: protest noises from <laughs> <laughs> actually are we on that side
1: yeah uh, we'll hear it. we'll okay. definitely hear it. but uh, <laughs> when they get to that so it, it's really been a great week in this middle of, of august to have this uh, this gathering and to also look at where we're going as a company and uh, i just have to say it's really exciting it's very very really very exciting. exciting so that's enough about us let's talk about what's going on in the world with the week in review
0: I'm going to put you on the spot first, Joel, with your column from this week. And I know it's actually kind of a setup to some, some things you're thinking about for early next year. I don't know if you want to tip your hand, but it has a lot to do with communications um, and, I mean, also purpose, yeah. right? So the, we, we hear the word purpose a lot. And I think it's, uh, I love how you try to put this in context, right, and really decipher what the different nuances of that word are in terms of how people are communicating it today and what it should be and and is it overused you know it's like i know you've well you talk about purpose washing here in this in this column yeah. but You know, I think you started in a different place, too, actually. (laughs) I'm just wondering what the genesis of this column
1: was. No, I mean, just I've been reading about purpose. A lot of people talk about purpose and the importance of purpose in Mm -hmm. business. And here's our purpose. And Mm -hmm. we're a purpose-driven company. You know, that's become quite the phrase. And... It's one of those things uh, in sustainability and, and, and in the world of business, you know, you take a word and you work the heck out of it. Mm-hmm. And it, at some point it becomes overused and maybe misused and misused. and ultimately I, abused. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that's the case now. Um, and so I, I did a little sort of thought piece, exploration, uh, meditation, if you will, it, on, on what is purpose I mean, and how A is lot of companies used. now wear their purpose um, on yeah. their sleeve. Uh, the, the Probably the poster child of this is Unilever, which has committed to or at least uh, announced the aspiration to have uh, a purpose statement for each of its 400 brands, which led the New York Times to write a kind of snarky piece that says, does your mayonnaise actually need a mission statement? Yeah. They confuse mission statements and purpose statements. Right, and that, that was
0: one of the things yeah. I really... Appreciated about this whole conflate the, the point you make about conflating purpose and mission. So can you go into that a little bit more? Because I think that's super important for for this piece.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, a mission statement basically says what we do. We are, uh, you know, our 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 mission is to is to make the world smarter and more. Uh, our mission is to solve the climate crisis mm-hmm. through our business activities. Mm-hmm. Um, our purpose is is why we do it. Uh, mm-hmm. We believe this is the uh, existential threat, and this is one of the most important uh, topics of our in any other generation. And we believe that this is, uh, how, you know. Uh, so anyway, it's it, it constantly gets conflated when you put mission and purpose together. They should answer the question, why do we exist? And you know, <laughs> I don't know if enough companies enough companies ask that question, and 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 maybe it comes out in in, in how they operate. But, um, you know, uh, so I talked a little bit about well, how to think about this, that, you know, mission needs to, you know, really begin internally. And you really can't communicate it externally until you really have your act together. And it, people really know what it means. It's embedded in, in the culture to some extent. Not everybody needs to totally, fully grok it. But um, until you do that, you really shouldn't be you know, putting it out there in the world. And I think a companies, a lot of them do the opposite. They put it out there and they say, okay, we've told the world we're a purpose-driven company or this is what our purpose is. Now let's explain it to you <laughs> yeah. and and and, and mm-hmm. get your buy-in on this. Yeah. So uh, anyway, this, you know, is just a, a sort of a, a look at purpose. What does it mean? What does it not mean? How should it be used? And maybe how it shouldn't.
0: And your closing comment, let's be careful out there, on purpose. On
1: purpose, yeah. Wow. Well, it was just uh, it was too out hard there. to resist. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to turn the table, as I often do, <laughs> Heather, uh, and to a topic that you wrote about, which is just fascinating around deep sea mining. I mean, it sounds like it shouldn't a thing environmentally, and yet I know it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing. Uh, What did you you look into, why, and what did you find?
0: So this actually was prompted by my coverage earlier this year of where we get these minerals and metals for the the climate tech that we want to put out there in the world, right? So I I cover climate tech, I, I often cover innovation, and, you know, how do these things actually get... Put into existence. We need we need all the various metals and so forth. And what came to my attention was this sort of controversy that's been brewing over the summer. It's been a tsunami, if you will, of, of um flack that the international seabed authority is experiencing right now because there is actually just there is no deep sea mining happening at this moment, right? And we're talking about the The levels of the ocean floor that are like 2,000, you know, we're talking four or five miles down, you know, this is far stuff. It's unexplored, it's unmapped, it's, you know, misunderstood. Like, no one really knows that much about it. But now, um, there are nations that want to start mining in these areas.
1: And and, and what are they mining? What are we mining for? So,
0: basically, the biggest um, opportunity is these polymetallic... Nodules that are filled with things like copper, and magnesium, manganese, iron, um, nickel, cobalt, other things that we get ter- terrestrially right now, right? But that are apparently just rich um, in in the, in the deep sea. There's a, a place called the Clarion-Clipperton Zone, which is you know supposedly one of the richest motherlodes, if you will, of of these metals on Earth, on the world, on the yeah. planet, right? Um, but we don't. What we're trying to understand is how we can get at that material without completely messing up the ocean ecosystem of which we know very little, right? We don't really know what's down there. All we know is that um, there is a call for some of these nations um, in that area in the Pacific Ocean to be able to exploit this Um, and so What's happening right now is the International Seabed Authority is trying to set rules for how we do this without um, without hurting the environment, but we don't really understand what will hurt the environment. So there's just a lot of unknowns. And they're being pushed to do this by the country of Nauru, um, which has a, an opportunity here. And, and they basically triggered this weird legal process by which this, this this authority, which is part of the United Nations, has to set these rules or it can do whatever it wants. So, like, there's a race to go in and actually set some things in place. So, because
1: th- these are international waters, so nobody well, owns this ocean? Well,
0: so there's international waters, but there's also the national waters of each of the countries right. they do. But there still needs to be laws. across. They, they, there, there will be—the law will cover both places, I hmm. believe. That's that's my understanding, okay. although we don't really know. So what's what's at issue here and what's, what's going on is that, that people like, you know, Emmanuel C- Macron have come out and said— you know, here's a quote from, from something he said this summer. We have to create the legal framework to stop high seas mining and not allow new activities and endanger ecosystems. So there's, at the same time that these these nations are wanting to do this, there's been a back, big backlash um, among um, folks that want to slow things down, understand what to do, get the, the rules in place, be more thoughtful, do testing. Like, what does this do? The What technologies do you want to use? What's going to be, Are we get, are we talking about, you know, strip mining the ocean floor or are we um, talking about picking things up and there's a whole um, slew of companies actually and i've written about this before but people like bmw google patagonia Philips, rivian samsung they are all on board if you will with a um it's not happening today so it's hard to call it a moratorium but they're saying they're they're, they're these are among the countries saying time out don't let this happen until we figure it out. Yeah. Um, so it's just a, a big controversy. I know that some of the um, larger um, automotive companies, including General Motors, Daimler, Ford have put some procurement policies into place that yeah. say, we need to know where this stuff is coming from. Um, Tiffany has sure. said, you know, Microsoft has said this, you know, so it's, it's just a, this is exploring the controversy. There's going to be a lot more that's happening around this issue, but I thought it was something we, we just needed to get out there.
1: Absolutely, well, and, and some of these are absolutely critical materials, things that they we are. will need. They um, and, yep. and I was reminded of a, a piece that um, our colleague, Katie Fehrenbacher, wrote mm-hmm. a couple years ago about the lithium, lithium mining in the Salton Sea, mm-hmm. which is uh, mm-hmm. south and east of Los Angeles, and it's one of the largest uh, uh, deposits of, this is sort of a dry, dead sea, if you will. It's one of the largest deposits of lithium underneath, and of course, there's ecosystems and all sorts of considerations and lithium being the critical component in, in batteries and, you know, mm-hmm. in your phone and my car and everything else mm-hmm. these days, mm-hmm. our computers. And and so, you know, how do you exploit this stuff and get it, you know, because a lot of this stuff is coming from countries that we don't like or don't like us or that don't treat people well, there's forced slavery and things like that. Um, and so uh, the figuring this out, and of course, even when we figure it out, there'll be lots of Folks who come in and strip mine the ocean, as, as you put it, just because that's a, a fast buck or something. So, this is is a really critical area, and I know that you will be watching that, and I look forward to.
0: I will be, and also Katie will be too. She's yeah. this is one of the areas that she's um, reporting on next. Yeah. So.
1: Well, food for thought there, but let's go some thoughts for food, uh, and that mm-hmm. uh, to us nice. by uh, is it Joanna Treward
0: yeah, I Absolutely. don't know how to pronounce it, but Joanna is one of the folks that's filling in for um, our food analyst, yeah, Teresa Ter- Leib, who is um, just said, hey, I've got a great community of, of experts out there. I want to let some other people have a voice in the newsletter. And so it's this, August. So and I'm it's not, August. Yeah. So, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, she, but this is one of the, um, the this month, she will be uh, rotating a, a series of guest columnists. We had a
1: great piece from Ecuador last week. Yep. And this week,
0: it's, well, talk about This it. is UK. Yeah. This is UK. Um you know, I I'll just get. it. I mean, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. It's it's the role of um, food retailers in helping sort of promote, if you will. I'm, I'm not advocate promote. I don't know what verb I want to use yet, but the the healthier eating habits. So it, this piece talks about how a couple of the retailers in the UK um, are promoting plant based and vegan diets. Um, one she notes that one major retailer ran a, a national in store veganary campaign across all its stores highlighting just that that lifestyle Vegan um, in january vegan in january yeah um I, yeah it's funny how i i i in my head already thought i knew what that term was and realized it's probably not something that will actually but the, to the point of this some a lot of my friends actually do have heard that term and yeah. i think the point is that there's um the, the retailers are discovering that there's a role in Promoting these sales, and of course, it's in their interest, right? These plant-based items yeah. are of interest, and they're trying to do this on behalf of their their suppliers. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm you're less you're more cynical about this. Well.
1: well, I'm two minds of this, as I often am. I mean, on one hand, I think it's great uh, that these uh, these retailers are. are Stepping into this role of educating the market, making people smarter about not just plant-based meats and alternatives, but uh, diet, how that fits into a healthy, balanced diet and all that. I also just, you know, we've been posting calories and fat and cholesterol and salt and sodium content on things for a long time. And I don't have any sense that the world's gotten any smarter or more diet conscious or let alone that there's fewer cases of diabetes or anything else going on in the world. So, uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying this this is not worth doing, but I, I just... I wonder how much, you know, Marks and & Spencer and, and Hubbub, uh, the two companies that are talked about here, you know, that are, really can make a difference. Now, I love the fact that they're providing a range of tools, not just information, recipes, tips and hacks, live cook-alongs, educational content, meal planners, things like that. So I want to be proven Mm-hmm. totally wrong on this and I want to come back with a red face and tail between my legs in a year and say wow did I didn't appreciate how how effective this might have been
0: what I would, would have liked to see a little bit more and, and and there's some comment about this but one of the things that I was asking in my head was who were they engaging because like I know a lot of the younger individuals in my life in my sphere of, of no. influence and friends are are exploring this and and are much more um interested in this, this way of, of, in this sort of diet, than folks that are older uh, or more established, have more established eating habits. But this campaign, um, one of them that that she's talking about focused on retirees, families with children, and young couples. So Uh like, it was a range of of individuals. I also, the timing for this one is interesting because they talk about the results and like, after the campaign, households reported eating less meat and more plant proteins and vegetables. Well, this also is happening kind of like, this is happening with a, incredible food inflation going on, and especially that you know, meat is extremely expensive. Oh, so yeah. I'm kind of like, would love to see that element of it stripped out. Like, this is great, but what, were, was it also because people were like, it's cheaper, I'm gonna buy this stuff, you know, like, I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, and that of course begs the question, is plant-based uh, protein cheaper than because you know
0: it not it, in many cases it's not yeah you, you
1: can get a burger or a fry a bucket of chicken for not a lot of money and uh, from a you know based on the old meat model and it, some of this other stuff may not be but uh, I, I have to say you know yes I'm I'm a little skeptical you know cynical old man that I am but I do like this I do love <laughs> that they're doing this I think it's a great model for uh, for for other companies to step into and do those things and Standing here talking about this, it's making me hungry. Makes me
0: hungry, but it is—it does speak to the importance of communications and how companies um, talk about the things they're doing and, you know, about the things they're selling. The term carbon tech is often used to describe approaches that use captured carbon dioxide as a feedstock for everything from fuel to materials to consumer products. Air Company, based in Brooklyn, New York, in July won the prestigious Keeling Curve Prize for its potential to mitigate climate change. It transforms CO2 into alcohols that are used in products, including hand sanitizer, vodka, and fragrances. Gregory Constantine, a former music festival organizer, is co-founder and CEO of the startup. He joins us here on GreenBiz 350. Hello, Gregory.
2: Hey, how you doing?
0: Okay, I'm great today. I, okay, I have to ask, how did you go from a career in music festivals to becoming a climate tech entrepreneur? Where did this idea come from?
2: <laughs> Yeah, look, I think uh, you know I've always been really just inspired around a, a couple of things. You know, one, just doing things that I'm passionate about, um, and you know, I've always you know really been drawn you know to music as a whole. You know, I grew up as a as a musician, and I was just you know fascinated by how music just has this uh, you know insatiable ability to bring people together from all you know walks of life, no matter what. I think that you know music is just kind of like one, you know partaking in music is one of the most inclusive environments. Um, on the planet, and you know, in, in my in my early twenties, um, you know, having met my my now business partner, and then moving from Australia, which is this really beautiful island, to, to New York, another beautiful island, in its own right, but compl- you know, very different. Um, you know, I just became really, you know, aware to, you know, to the things that we've done, you know, to, to our environment over the course of time, and, um, you know, really wanted to see if there was a way to, you know, to bring my skill set together with my co-founder's skill set to, to try to help the world for the better. And, um, you know, over the course of the last, you know, five six years, it's it's really progressed into into what we're doing today at Air Company.
0: So carbon tech, though, I mean, just generally speaking, I mean, you could choose lots of different things. Is there a, was that is, did someone in your circle have experience with this? I mean, was there was there a particular aha moment?
2: Yes. Yes. So, Stafford, our CTO and 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 my business partner, um, you know, he was really working on, uh, you know, technologies like this coming out out of his PhD at at Yale, uh, which was really centered around, um, you know, artificial photosynthesis. You know, how can you you know mimic a tree, um, you know, in a faster, more efficient way, um, you know, by removing CO two and putting out oxygen, and that was really the you know the genesis for what we do. Right, taking that that principle and saying, you know, if we have the ability to to take CO2 and utilize it, um, really, you know, turning what's, you know, traditionally known as a problem and hopefully making it a solution, we think that we, um, A, we should definitely go out and, and at least try to do it because we think it could be world-changing, um, but, but B, more importantly, really think that it's, it's, it's an important thing to, to try to do as well. So that was really the, the genesis and then now, you know, two variant skill sets um, coming together to try to commercialize, you know, technologies and, and, and products like this.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what sets air company apart from other carbon tech or carbon utilization businesses
2: yeah that's a that's a really great question i think um there's probably a a few different things that separate us you know uh, you know the technology aside, I, I really think it's just, you know, we've been able to, to go out in, in such a short period of time uh, and commercialize, you know, real products uh, in market off the back of the technology that we've created. So, um, you know, what was once an idea um, is now an absolute reality where I think that, you know, there's there's still a lot of emerging, amazing companies in the space, Um that that still have incredible ideas, but you know, taking that leap from idea into actual commercialization is a big leap, and I think that's you know one of the reasons that uh that's kind of separate us from you know from the others. Uh, you know, on top of that. Um, we have real, you know, real products in market, like real, real brand and real products in market, right? We've, you know, over the last few years, we've commercialized a, a beverage product, a, a fragrance product, a sanitization product, and we have some incredible uh, other innovations that are coming out um, later this year as well.
0: Okay, can you give us a hint <laughs> about that? <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, the, the hint is, uh, let's wait and see what happens later this year. <laughs> ah,
0: Darn, okay. So tell me about your relationship with NASA.
2: Yeah, our, our relationship with NASA is is, is an incredible one and, um, you know, one that we're, you know, we've been very fortunate to be able to, you know, to have worked with them. Um um over the course of the last couple of years and continue to continue to work with and you know the reason why we we have the ability to work with nasa is we you know we've been a part of their their co2 program essentially their centennial program which is really focused around how can we take carbon dioxide and turn it into things of use that would be useful um you know not only here on earth but but potentially in outer space and um you know specifically on mars so um you know we've gone and gone out and created um things like sugars from co2 as well as things like um you know, rocket fuel from from CO2. And the beauty about working with a group like NASA or, you know, government bodies as a whole is, you know, they really allow you to, to work on, you know, no pun intended, moonshot innovations because when you're creating things for the space um, they don't necessarily always make economical sense and um, you know rather than you know creating them here on earth re- everything really needs to be commercially viable where um, when you're working with a group like NASA they really allow you to to push the boundaries and, and stretch you know how you think about things um, in order to be innovative and 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 be creative and and hopefully a point of difference because it's those innovations that help moving the, that help move the world forward.
0: Air company raised 30 million in series A back in April. So what's the growth plan, especially given the uncertain uh, economy right now? and, And, you know, things are a little bit shakier than they have been.
2: Mm. Yeah, things things certainly are a little bit shakier than they have been, you know, for us uh you know, it's 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 still full steam ahead. Um you know, climate change isn't isn't slowing down because of the economy. Um and you know, our our mission and the reason why we we do everything that we do is to is to curb climate change. So, um for us uh you know, we aren't going to be slowing down. We're going to continue to you know to go out and 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 work on the plan that was set forth and you know we were extremely fortunate enough to be able to raise um to raise capital prior to you know that that economic kind of downturn but we have some amazing partners on board who believe in in the vision of 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 our organization and you know the the funding is to really go towards um scale continue to scale up uh, our technology continue to to innovate um, and continue to do research and development on our carbon dioxide conversion technologies so that we can be applicable at scale because that's where we have the most amount of impact.
0: So this is another question I wanna ask you. You're in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. right? People don't necessarily think mm-hmm. of Brooklyn as the place of carbon capture. Although I, I know that there's quite a few climate tech startups now emerging there. So why New York Like, and how with this growth plan, are you going to be doing it in New York state? Where else
2: are, are you going to be doing this? Yeah, so we're headquartered, you know, in New York. Um, we're actually going to be expanding our our production footprint, um, not only outside of the city, but potentially outside of the, the state uh, as well. But New York's been an incredible, um, you know, melting pot, I would say, for not only for startups, but 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 really climate tech startups as well. And uh, we've been, you know, r- really supported by local community as well as the state of New York as well and hopefully we've been a part of what's a growing you know climate tech scene um here in New York but yeah being headquartered here has been has been great not only for those reasons but also we get access to it you know to incredible amounts of, of talent coming out of you know the local areas um including you know an incredible school NYU.
0: So what's next Gregory?
2: We're just going to continue uh, on on the pathway forward, uh, which is, um, you know, how can we take our technology and how can we, you know, continue to um, to scale it up to to not only meet the demands of our customers and consumers, but really to you know utilize the most amount of CO two as as possible because. You know, as, as I mentioned earlier you know everything that we do is really centered around um, you know climate change and the environment and and, and helping you know slow that down um, and we try to do that through commercializing technologies that can be an additive to other areas of of of, of slowing that down as well so um, you know we're we're really really excited about what's to come not only this year but the years ahead and, and as I mentioned before Heather we've got a, a pretty credible kind of uh, announce or announcements that are coming out in a couple months time as well that, that that we're really really excited about
0: great well looking forward to hearing that thank you so much for being on GreenBiz 350
2: of course thank you so much for having us
0: you just heard from gregory constantine co-founder and ceo of the startup air company
2: and that's our
1: 350 podcast for this week as always go to greenbiz.com slash 350 to find more about the organization stories and events we mentioned this week and while you're over on the side, check out our free weekly newsletters. They're a great way to stay up to date all week long. Just go to greenbiz.com newsletters to sign up. We love your comments, questions, and tips. Our address, 350 at greenbiz.com. Heather and I will be back next week, sadly from across the continent from each other, with another edition of GreenBiz 350. Until then, from all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. We'll see you next time.
0: This episode is sponsored by Makersite. Get to know Makersite's multi-criteria design support system. Design better, more sustainable products and accelerate product time to market by 10%. For more information, please visit makersite.io.